Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Hey everybody, sorry about that little delay there. How oh, apparently YouTube has decided to throw a little fit about something, so we hope everything's gonna work out. Sorry about that, but <laughs> welcome to the Modernizer Die CFMound News Edition. It's episode 165 <clears throat> and September 27th, 2022. And yes, Brad did make it. He escaped the escaped the server room he was locked in last week and couldn't make it so we got him this week <laughs> i've got clients banging on the door man they're like where are you brad we need you okay so obviously uh brad and myself both work for auto solutions and that's the first thing we want to do is thank auto solutions for making this podcast possible so they're the makers of cold box command box forge box test box and plenty of other boxes out there and uh, a way that you guys can say thanks to uh, Auto Solutions for, for doing all the things they do is to like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. Um, help us reach for the stars. So please fork and star the repos that you work with. And there's a GitHub uh, a GitHub tool that Eric made. So you can basically just you know run this from inside your repo and all the things that you're using from Forgebox can be liked on GitHub. Uh, also, if you listen to this podcast on your app or whatnot, uh, leave a review. Um, we like those reviews. They do help us. And then sign up for a free or paid account on CFCast, which releases new content like every week. And we have some cool stuff on the Box Life store if you want to get some cool t-shirts. Uh, and then we have uh, books available. And so the 102 Cold Box HMVC Quick Tips and Tricks is on Gumroad. And they also have the Modern CFML book. So Modern CFML in 100 minutes, you can get that as well. We want to also thank our Patreon supporters because without them, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast because they're providing like actually 100% of the uh, support for this podcast. And then some extra, which is going towards all of our Forgebox hosting, right, Brad? I mean, how many packages you did this stuff at a uh, end of the box in the keynote about how many millions of packages we have and the um, S3 bills must be pretty big. So we're about 30%. I don't know if I'd say millions, but yes, we have a growing list of packages and the forge box storage approach where we just magically whisk your package away to a private forge box bucket is the growing option and popularity but we put that bill for you so thank you to the patreon supporters who help us put that bill for the community yep so we're paying 33 percent of that so <laughs> we, we do thank you we appreciate you uh really appreciate it okay so next up we have our news so a little news for us. Um, we just want to touch on the CF Summit. Uh, for those watching, I'm wearing the CF Summit shirt. So next week is CF Summit. And one of the Ooh. sessions, Dave Ferguson and Matt Gifford uh, are going to be doing an Ask Me Anything session where you can ask them basically anything Cold Fusion related. So they have a CF, uh, they have a form up on uh, Google that you can basically fill out and they'll answer your questions on the stage live. And the cool thing is, is that... Uh, you just basically link your repo. If you've got a, a reproducible case or some question you want to have, you can actually just throw it out there and, uh, and they'll answer it. And obviously CF summit next week. I'm excited. You're excited, Brad. I'm super excited, Gavin. I'm talking about message queues. So I don't know why I wouldn't be excited, but I mean, it's the first CF summit since COVID. 
I, I haven't, well, I, I've driven, flown into Vegas, but I haven't actually done anything in Vegas since the last CF Summit. So looking forward to seeing uh, Mark Takata, who, I mean, I saw him last time at CF Summit, but he wasn't the Cold Fusion evangelist back then. And the whole, you know, Cold Fusion team that's coming in, I've got people on Slack that are like, I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks in CF Summit. So it's a pretty, uh, a pretty exciting time to be able to get back into that saddle, if you will. Yep, for sure. So we'll be there. Um, but also coming up thick and fast is Hectoberfest 2023. So I've got the details this week. Last week we reminded <laughs> everybody. Um, this week we're basically giving you the details. So previous years I think you had to have five pull requests. And they didn't even have to be accepted. But now you have to have four pull requests or merge requests accepted between October 1st and October 31st to complete Hectoberfest. And it's the first 40,000 participants, maintainers, and contributors who complete the Hectoberfest uh, can, uh, you know, like to receive a prize, either a planted tree in their name in the Digital Ocean Forest or the Hectoberfest 2022 t-shirt, which I love their shirts. Probably the best shirts out there. They're almost as good as the J-Frog ones for quality, too. <laughs> so Yeah, everybody loves a nice, comfortable uh, shirt. I don't wear that anywhere. Yeah. My wife wants to steal them all the time for sure. So, but yeah, so Hectoberfest, uh, you can sign up already. Um, so you can go fill out the form and register. And then, um, yeah, we'll put the Hectoberfest topics on, on some stuff. And if you are doing a pull request during the month and we don't have Hectoberfest on it, let us know. We'll slam it on there for you. We want to support you guys. One of the cool things though, they actually have, um, non code options this year too. So you can actually do, um, design work or evangelism stuff. And that can count too. So I'm not sure how that adds up, but there is information on that too. So if you guys write a bunch of blog posts about Coldbox or something or Command Box, which you should be, uh, let us know. And then uh, we might be able to give you credit for that too. So that's kind of cool. So let's move on to new releases. So Lucy has a, a new release candidate, Lucy 5310. So yes, they do. Unfortunately, they cut it. They cut off the release candidate at build seventy nine, and my pull request was some Fourier query fixes went into build eighty. So, whoops. <laughs> and the other pull request that I sent at the same time didn't get merged because unrelated tests failed. So I'm like, come on. So hopefully my uh, query query things will make it into the final Lucy five three ten version. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff in five three ten, which was like the version I didn't think we we're gonna have originally because. When 5.3.9 came out, that was going to be like the last, you know, 5.3 version of Lucy. And when 5.3.8 came out, that was going to be the last 5.3 version of Lucy. Um, but yeah, still stuff going on there. Yeah. As Charlie said, missed it by that much. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right. Um, Scott asked what new things are going into query queries. Uh, actually, no features, just some, uh, uh, how do you describe it? Um, the short version. So, the Lucy query query has like the two implementations, right? The native query query. And if that errors, then it falls back on the crappy HSQL DB version. Um, but there's a, there's a handful of things that error in the native version that like error for good reason. Like the SQL is just like, you don't have the right parameters or the right type. So there's no sense to even bother falling back or you're trying to divide by zero, right? Like I can guarantee you the HSQL version of, of query query is also not going to be able to divide by zero. So we improved that with the way the exceptions were handled. So uh, there's a whole list of exceptions in the ticket that basically if any of these things happen, we just blow up right away, skip the whole, oh, let me try again um, thing, which just kind of makes for a cleaner experience. It provides better error messages 
Um, but anyway, yeah, it's 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 nothing too sexy, but it is nice. Yeah, that may show. May sure. <laughs> and um, what else was I gonna say? Oh, um, I'm wondering if that has all their experimental features. The last few weeks we've been talking about like uh, query listeners and mail listeners and all these listener things that they've been throwing around. So they're meant to be an experimental version. So I wonder if they're actually in there. So, so originally I thought those were all going to be 6.0 features, but I actually don't know anymore. They said they were going to be definitely 6.0 features, but they were in the experimental phase in the 5.3. So I'm not oh. sure if they actually made this release candidate or they're just playing with it and it's not one of the ones that got released. But... I'm like, they sounded interesting. So, you know, Poppy's read some docs. I mean, they were interesting like four years ago when they announced them all at CF Summit. Oh, <laughs> not, not CF Summit, CF Camp. Okay. Um, uh, just to kind of drop that little chestnut. Been, been a little, well, little while I've been waiting on those to drop in there. Yeah. Still experimental. Uh, but yeah, that's a good question, though. Um, I'm going to say, Poppy's just updated the documentation. To add mm-hmm. some stuff about query listeners and i wanted to see if i could find the link to that because i figured it would probably say oh here we go uh here's the post on <laughs> i'm always snarky john Ferrar. i'm come out of the box that way um okay yeah so zach said available as an experimental feature in lucy 5.3 officially supported in 6.0 so i'm guessing it's probably in uh in the 5310 release candidate what i'm not sure is if you have to flip a flag to enable it mm. or if it's just there and <laughs> like is it there to use and they just don't tell you about it or do you have to flip it on yeah the this, this thread uh here on the on the discourse forum doesn't actually appear to uh specify how you use it as an experimental feature yeah, I'm not sure we'll have to dive into that, but I thought it was pretty cool that they were doing those types of things, just a little, little different, you know, some some new features coming out, not just same old. Okay, well, next up, let's talk about webinars, meetups, and workshops, and so this week, we actually have one this Thursday, so for those keeping count, like me, 299 online CF meetup number 299 charlie earhart's going to be doing a using adobe cf setup tool manage cf admin settings for any version and uh, he does mention in there cf config uh, and everything else but they released a cf setup tool back in 2020 but the interesting thing is that it doesn't just work for 2021 so it actually works for any version of cold fusion so uh, in his talk, he's going to be talking about how to use it with Docker, without Docker, and comparing, you know, what you can do with uh, CF setup, and obviously comparing to CF config, and then the old CAR, you know, the old school ways to, to do settings Car and everything file. else. Car files, yep. And so, you know, talks about why you might want to use one or the other, or why not use both, or, you know, just a lot of exploration into that. And as he mentions, a lot of people you know, have heard of them, use different ones, but there's a lot of documentation out there. There's a lot of stuff that you may not know. So he's going to be talking about that uh, this Thursday, September 29th at 9 a.m. Pacific. So we should start a rumor that the car files were originally named after Charlie Earhart. I think that, <laughs> that rumor would work. I don't know. Plausible. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that's uh, going to be going on this Thursday. So go check that out. It's up on meetup.com. So I will share the link here in the chat. And and he says he won't spend much time on CFconfig, of course. But um, that's what Charlie's saying in the chat. But he'll just, you know, 
in comparison and context of that he will so towards the end but and adobe even named their event system vendor after him as well yeah <laughs> and uh it used to throw me too the Carousel stuff <laughs> yeah i don't know what event system vendor means Remember they used to have Karas, the Karasoft, C-A-R-A soft? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's not them either. Yeah, I haven't all... heard of that in forever. Yeah. And it did confuse people at, at one point. I'm sure I fell for it at one point too. So yeah, so sign up for that one on themeetup.com. And, uh, and as usual, Charlie will have a great one then. And then episode 300 should be coming soon. So uh, I guess we'll have to, to see. Okay, next up, we also have Adobe workshops and webinars. We had a couple last week. So Damon Brumendonks did a, a Cold Fusion one-day workshop. And then uh, Mark Takata did his Building Custom Adobe Connect Pods with CF 2021. And we've got a couple more scheduled for November and December. So Building Native Mobile Apps with Adobe Cold Fusion and Monaco.io with Mark. And then um, he'll also be doing a holiday special with a preview of Cold Fusion 2023 to finish out the year. So I think it's uh, going to be a busy year for them. Obviously, October, they're taking a break because we're at CF Summit. Okay, let's move on to CFCast. So CFCast.com, our premier learning uh, site for ColdFusion. We've got a lot of content out there. We did release the Autis webinar, uh, the Into the Box recap that myself, Brad, and John did. For all of those who missed uh, Into the Box or maybe were there, it's kind of nice to sort of get the recap there so you guys can check that up on CFCAFs. For everyone who is a ticket holder for ITB, all the videos have been released um, on the site. And uh, if you're just a normal subscriber to CFCAFs, don't worry, you'll be getting those videos. They'll be coming out in the 12 days of Christmas in December. Um, so we have a little exclusive for those who paid for tickets. And then we have some Forgebox Mod of the Week. And... Uh, see it vs code hint tip trick of the week videos as well that get posted so what do we have coming soon on cfcast brad you got anything coming out i mean come on box you gotta have some videos sometime right um i haven't made anything personally in a while but i do see a list of things here in the show notes it says uh more forge box and vs code podcast snippet videos i do like those that way people don't have the time to watch the full hour-long podcast and get the little little snippets little good stuff uh, looks like there's a box of fine third-party library uh, thing from some crazy guy named Gavin. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Uh, more Coalbox Elixir content from Eric. <clears throat> um, getting started with Content Box series from Daniel. And then we're also going to have the Into the Box videos released in December for those people who did not purchase Into the Box tickets. So if you purchase tickets, you can get them right now. But if you were not a ticket holder for Into the Box, you'll be able to access those in December. Yep. So cfcast.com, go check that out. And again, uh, lots of content in production. Uh, well, we're producing it. It's not live yet. That always gets me confused sometimes <laughs> when, you know, something's in production versus it's getting produced. <laughs> yeah, you're right. When it's, when it's like video content production means like you're still producing it. Like it's not done. It's, but yeah, it's like when you turn the AC up, did you make it warmer or colder? Nobody knows. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So great stuff. Go check it out. CFCast.com. 
Okay, conference time. So what do we have next week, Brad? What do we have next week? Well, I believe we have one Adobe Cold Fusion Summit in the Mirage in Las Vegas, Nevada, Gavin. So yeah. that's October 3rd and 4th. I've got my plane tickets. I've got my uh, my flight scheduled. I've got my hotel. I'm ready to go. Um, yep. So we'll be there Sunday. So uh, we'll be there and available. Come check out the booth. Obviously, we'll have an oldest booth. We'll be hanging out there when we're not presenting uh, and attending some of the sessions as well. But uh, we have Gavin's a, a, the booth babe, by the way. Oh, I thought that was Eric. <laughs> Oh, that's how Eric. Sorry, you, <laughs> you guys can fight over who's the booth babe. It's just not me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but we'll have uh, you know Brad, myself, Eric, Luis, Daniel Garcia. We have a lot of people there. We also have Edgado and uh, Maho, Maria, Jose will be there as well at the booth. So if you have questions, we got lots of stickers. So come check us out. Um, we'll have a, a lot of cool stuff there. So um, yeah, come say hi. We'll we'll be at the the party as well and the derby party at the pool on uh monday night so come check us out check chat with us a little bit and uh if you guys are a patreon come say hi in person it's always great to hang out with the patreons in person when we can so let us know and uh obviously if you haven't got your ticket they're still available and then they also have the the fifth the day after they have their um training so if you're looking at doing the certified training the derby it's the new one, the Adobe Certified Professional Adobe Cold Fusion Certification that is on October the 5th. So uh, go check it out. And again, I should share my screen for those who are watching because we do have a pretty cool little list of sessions up there. So if we go to the agenda, you see we get breakfast. So very important. Very important. And then the, the keynotes. <clears throat> And then Daniel Garcia starts off the day. We have Chase Cabrera well, and Kevin Knight. Guy. Yep. And then me again. Uh, so you're right after me. You're in my I, I literally e. haven't even looked to see what my session is. Yeah, your session is, I think, right after lunch or right before lunch. So it's the first day? Yeah, you're the first day. Otis is basically... Back to back to back to back on the first day. It's kind of nice just to get it over with because then it's not hanging over your head the rest of the conference. Yep. See, they always put me right before lunch because they know I'm going to go like 30 minutes over. So, <laughs> so I'm right. I'm right before lunch in E. You're right after lunch in E. So. Oh man, after lunch can be a rough time. Everybody overeats and they come in and they're all like full from lunch and they're just ready for a nap. I know that... you're up against Pete Freitag and Michael Hayes. So. Ooh. Oh dang. Yeah. So is there are there three? Tracks? Is that Three what we tracks by the look of it. Yep. So we got the, <clears throat> at your time, we have leveraging AI cognitive oh, services. AI. Man, see, I want to go to that one. Messages cues with Rabbit and Q, and then taming the top 25 most dangerous software weaknesses with Pete Freitag. That sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, well, I'm going to have an empty room, man. I, I need to like have like lions jumping through flaming hoops or something to get people into my message queue session. <laughs> yeah. It might be a tough one. So, but yeah, a lot of good stuff. And this is right after you in the same room is Alpine. So basically, E looks like it's the oldest room. Is Daniel in E? No, he's not. So, oh, Daniel's in the big one. He's in ballroom B and C. Guess they're expecting a lot of people for that one. No pressure, Daniel. But yeah, so basically, the end of day one, we'll be done with our sessions. All the oldest people are speaking day one. And then we can relax at the party. And then, uh, enjoy the rest of the time so 
that is CF Summit. Uh, AWS Awesome Day online conference. So there's a three-day online conference, October 20th on Thursday, and basically a three-hour jumpstart getting you into uh, AWS, learning about everything in there. So it'll be it'll be pretty neat so i'll share the link for that one if you want to find out more get up to speed with aws what is it how you could use it and of course uh brian class will be at cf summit talking about aws stuff so you should always be there into the box latam um we have a little bit more information for you we believe it's going to be december 7th so i think they've locked that down um they're going to be launching the new site very soon and Brad, do you want to tell us why everybody should be interested in signing up for DevNexus next year? Because the early bird, the super early bird sales on sale to October 29th. So if you want to save half price, you got basically a week and a half to do it. Yes. Um, a, a quick note on the end of the box, Latam, though, just in case anybody's not familiar with it, that is our conference in Latin America, specifically sunny San Salvador. So. That's down in El Salvador. So let any of your friends in South America or Central America know about that one. But yes, DevNexus has um, already got their super early bird out, which is pretty cool. They had their call for uh, papers open. Um, I'm trying to think, who was it that I just talked to the other day that said they were planning on going to that? I think Eric's going to be there. I think John's trying to go there again. <clears throat> and then down... So we got a few of the team traveling and then Right. I mean we brought like five people from Ordis last year. The Fusion Reactor guys are are usually there. I've been trying to get uh Mark Takata from Adobe to to go out there. Unfortunately he didn't have the budget to do it last year with all the COVID crazy stuff. Yeah, um, and then I know that a lot of our a lot of our friends in, in South America are looking to attend there. Uh, a lot of people are excited because it's a lot closer, easy to get to. Um and then they had some pretty good speakers in the area too there was like um some aws representatives that were speaking last time and so i know they're working on trying to get uh some more local speakers uh from big companies so it sounds really exciting it'd be really cool so back to dev nexus then yes yes dev nexus so um right and we definitely a great conference just as far as a general programming conference you know it's mostly in the java space but it touches all sorts of technologies and it has vendor boots from you know every major technology company you can imagine ibm google um you know github heroku all of them are there um and so uh like i said we had a group of people from from ordis there last year um when i mentioned fusion reactor i meant this is the conference that they were at um as well and so it's uh it's just got a lot of good sessions and if you're looking for a conference to maybe try to speak at that's not full fusion um it definitely recommends submitting a talk Luis and i have spoken at dev nexus several times and i submit cold fusion talks every year and they completely ignore them <laughs> we'll never accept them but they have accepted talks of Luis's and mine on message queues agile development um uh, secure password hashing you know, basic general purpose, um, you know, talks on on programming methodologies and things. So uh, DevNexus is a, is a fun conference because it's got like a, all the sponsors in the world. There's usually about 2,000 people that go there. Um, so it's, it's something that's fun to look into. It's in Atlanta, which isn't too hard to get in and out of. And uh, they usually also have a bunch of workshops as well in person that are like, you know, 
Docker Kubernetes or, you know, there's all sorts of interesting stuff. And like the actual like Oracle Java development team is there. So you can actually like, you know, talk to the engineers that, that are working on uh, working on Java, which is pretty cool as well. Yeah, and just just so you know, you can go click on the previous conferences and it'll give you like a breakdown and archive of all the presentations. So you see the four keynotes, all the workshops they're working on, and they have uh, just tons and tons of different things. So cloud stuff, cloud infrastructure, JVM frameworks, agile architecture, best practices, security, tools, web and JavaScript. So there's just a ton of stuff in here. So... I think this was Luis's, and so you can get information about it. And some of them reaver up. Yeah, Luis did Alpine last year. Yep. Yep. And so some of them even have them up. Like I actually found Luis's one up on YouTube, so we added it to that. So if you look at recordings, they actually have some of the stuff in here. But but yeah, so it's just kind of interesting that they have a uh, a lot of content. You know, they've they've made it all available and. And if you want to check out and see who was there last year, you can find out um, by looking on their site. So Yeah, my session didn't get recorded last year. I was in a smaller room, and they didn't have any of the equipment there to record it. So, I like, Oh, I wonder what the, <laughs> how they figured that out. Yeah, I, actually, I mean, because the, they literally have like a dozen or so simultaneous tracks going on at DevNexus because it's such a big conference. Yep. And so they didn't have the recording equipment in like every single room. But anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's a big conference. I was scrolling through that list, going, "Man, this thing is just huge." So <laughs> yeah. you could let's say there's plenty of content for you. You know, if you did go, fifty percent off, it's a pretty good deal for for a conference. So of course you have to do that before this call for speakers closes. That's how the super early birds work. Yep, get it in now. Yep. And so speaking so, of conferences, how about into the box twenty twenty three? Let's do it again. Yep. Run so, it back. So middle of May, so hopefully we get a bit of time. No clashes before the end of school craziness as well. No have to worry about summer vacations and everything interfering or the back to school madness that we had this time. So we'll be <laughs> so doing a call for speakers pretty soon here, actually. So yeah, start thinking about your we're topics. Sliding it, yeah, we're sliding it forward about four months to get it back into that May time slot, which means you need to be talking to your boss now about getting your budget for it for the next year. It's just gonna. It's not gonna be twelve months until it happens again. It's gonna be a, a shorter year, so we're gonna be kicking into the into the box season uh, yep. pretty soon. Yep, and hoping right after that there'll be a CF Camp twenty twenty three in summertime, so we can plan our summer vacations to Europe, right, Brad? <laughs> Go ticket tour all around. I know. I I haven't been to Europe since the last CF Camp, um, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yep. So. A lot of great things coming, but again, CF Summit next week. <clears throat> and for the podcast, just so you know, we're going to try and do one live from the booth in CF Summit next week. So we'll see how that works. Um, We've done that before. It works okay. Yep. So we're going to try and do that. We'll just see how loud it is there and how good the Wi-Fi is. But we'll try well, and do that live next we, week. If we do it sometime in the evening when the when the um, not comp, uh, sponsor when the sponsor area is empty, it wouldn't be too bad. Yeah. So. We might try and just at least tune in at, at the 10 o'clock next week. It'll be right after the keynote. We'll have to see, give you a little breakdown on what the keynote said and everything. And we'll see, because I know we got a lot of uh, after activities, but we'll give you guys an announcement, so don't worry. But we're going to still try and provide something for you from the conference next week, since almost all of us are going to be there. So, 
Okie dokie. Blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. First one up, is this Brad Wood guy going off again? What is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, I added that to the show notes right as we were uh, starting. So, um, Tell yeah, us about it. Yeah, it's a quick tweet that I just sent out. Um, uh, you might remember that I added the support for mod CFML in the command box a couple versions ago, and that allows you to have a single command box server which services multiple web routes sitting behind Apache or IIS with bond code or Nginx um, that, you know, is is looking at the host name, you know, incoming and saying this is the web route it needs to be, which is a huge thing for people that want to, you know, host on production with command box and want to have a, you know, 15, 20, 100 web routes. And so one of the big missing features there was with cfconfig, uh, there wasn't a great way to automatically load the configuration into all the individual Lucy contexts. So I added some cool features last night um, to cfconfig, which allows you a nice little um, convention in your server.json file, where you're going to have a cfconfig JSON for the server level settings, and then you can also specify a server, uh, I'm sorry, a cfconfig.json file for each of the individual Lucy web contexts that are being mapped to through all the mod cfml stuff. So that allows you to get that server um, out of the box. So John asked for the link. If you click on the tweet right there that Gavin just put in the chat, inside my tweet, is a link to the docs that shows what that looks like. Um, so anyway, it's a tiny little feature, but it's super useful to, for people that want to they want to rely on the mod CFML support, but they still all, also want to have cfconfig automatically importing that stuff. And and um, when you update versions of Lucy, um, cfconfig will also copy over all the settings from all of your individual Lucy web contexts over to all the Lucy web contexts on the new server as well which was missing prior to last night. So mm. just some nice little features to make that finally work the way it should have worked in the beginning, but I didn't, I didn't have the time originally to implement all that. So I finally got a chance to think through that. Let me know if you run into any bugs because I do occasionally write them. <laughs> Only occasionally. Yeah, for sure. So cool. Cool. Next up we have uh, one from Ben <laughs> And so this is considering control flow and transient data relationships in cold fusion. So this one was interesting. He talked about how he breaks up his, his app. It's kind of like MVC ish. Um, you know, he has a controller and the controller is sort of the, a normal controller sort of thing handles input, input and requests. And then workflow is sort of like the, the next level down, which passes stuff down to services. And then his gateways actually do the data persistence and everything else. And so, cause he has sort of a layered, um, you know, strong separation of concerns, his raw data is abstracted away somewhat and, and whatnot. So he's trying to figure out the best way to handle things where basically he's just trying to send a, a, a birthday reminder getting a user ID. So he'd go out and get the user and he comes back as like a, as a struct essentially. And so basically he would say, Hey, um, you know, get the nickname for the user. And then, you know, basically if it doesn't throw an error, then, um, we'll set that as preferred name. But if it doesn't have a, you know, a nickname, then it was going to throw an error and we'll use their normal name or whatnot. And so he's sort of figuring out different ways to handle this. You know, he's like, well, I don't really like this. And, you know, he talks about try catching in here. Seems like it's, you know, not the right place for it. And then he talks about doing something where, you know, maybe have a, a null check. So if it has a name, it returns the, the, the nickname of it returns null and you can do, you know, basically like a null check here and, pass it on 
And then he talks about doing something where you pass it back as a struct and check to see if the struct is empty. And if the struct is empty, then you do one thing or the other. You know, just different ways to approach it. Um, and he really didn't like the struct approach. But anyway, so he sort of went through the different things, you know, using an array and, and everything. And, you know, basically, you know, just working through. And in the end, he had something where basically, you know, using the record count um, inside of the git nickname helper. Um, you know, <clears throat> basically check the record name and then pass back a struct. And if it has an exist flag of true or false, and if it exists, then you can check the value. Um, and so now he gets the user. Then he uses the nickname service to get the nickname for the user. And then, you know, if the nickname exists, then he uses the value, otherwise uses the name. And so, you know, just work through the whole flow. I thought it was, you know, interesting, but I've been on a kick. So I put a really big response in here. Mm, so, I'm curious yeah. what you said, because I already have thoughts. Yeah. Well, well, basically I'm like, uh, cause the first, first thing was Chris said, you know, why not just use a git preferred name function, which always return either the nickname or the name. And, you know, and so Ben said, well, you eventually got to, you know, you have to have that work, that logic somewhere or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, basically, He's like, well, that logic should be, you know, should be centralized in one place. That way you can get rid of the try catch and it always handles the right way. And so I'm like, yeah, that makes a good point, you know? And so I've been reading all this clean code and clean architecture book and everything. And so I said, sorry, it's a long response, but basically I'm like, yeah, we should really encapsulate that type of logic in the entity where the data and the behavior for the entity is there. So you're not duplicating that logic everywhere else, you know? And so long story short, and you know, I said that it should basically have a helper that does it. But then I also said, why don't you use something like Mementifier? So get Memento. So get user entity because he doesn't actually have entities. And then use get Memento to get the ID, the email, the preferred name. And the preferred name will be, you know, retrieved with a get preferred name. And that's all you need. You don't need to have all the extra stuff. Mm. But, um, you know, but yeah, that logic should be inside the user entity because it should know how its business rules work. Um, well, yeah. it de it depends on if you want to default it in the same way every time. Well, that's the um, thing. It, that's why if you have a preferred name, not get nickname, because the nickname would be a certain thing. So if you get the preferred yeah. name, but I mean, my first thought is I think Ben's a little too afraid of nulls. Like I think that's I mean, if you look at most languages, and I I get it, nulls are also the Achilles' heel of a lot of languages. Yeah. But I mean, most languages would say this method returns null if there is no data, and null means yeah, there is nothing. Or, I mean, mm -hmm. make it an empty string if you really want to be. Um, yeah. Like, I don't think that's that bad. And, I mean, I, I get it. You're going to have to check for null. But, like, there will be an if statement somewhere that will check for something. And that's what he was saying. Right? Like, yeah. like, you don't get away from it. Null, to me, is, like, a million times better than trying to wrap it in, like, structs or arrays. But I'm really surprised nobody has mentioned just using an optional here. Well, right? actually, I was thinking that this is because, essentially an optional. But Well, yeah. I mean... So like Java has optionals, guess what? Cold Fusion has a library that Luis wrote called CB Optional, which is basically a Cold Fusion version of a Java optional. And, a, and an optional is what you get back when you get when you want to call a method that may or may not find what you're looking for, but you don't want to deal with null. You get back an optional, which is more or less the same as a struct version, except for its objects, right? And mm -hmm. so the optional has some methods like did you actually find it right okay give me the thing you found or hey if it's null default it to this it just kind of encapsulates those checks for you and so it turns into a bit more of a fluent um api but to me yeah an optional seems like a more obvious thing but i mean 
you could also just make it like way simpler. Uh, again, it depends on where you want to do the defaulting. I mean, you could also just have a, like if this were Lucy, if Misha was writing this code, there would be a default value that would be passed in, and when it was null, it would just use the default value. Um, yep, you could do that too. I mean, get, get nickname and then pass a default for it. You know, right? Assuming that the the code calling that method knows what the default value should be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you want it to be different on a, on a per basis or whatever. But yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of different design patterns there. I kind of like the optional as a way to avoid nulls, though I would be scared of of relying too heavily on it in cold fusion if this is something that you were doing like thousands of times per request just because of the overhead of you know creating an entire cfc instance to wrap the result of a method that may or may not be null uh unfortunately that could add up a bit more in cold fusion than it would in java but yeah and that's the thing and eventually if you're using an optional then you still have to worry about putting the you know if it's this or that inside your code right yeah and you it, still again, have the if statement it's just now it's not in his null check. It's a method that you call. I mean, yeah, you don't get away from it. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing it, is, it, but it, it might not. But it, if it it's might empty not be string, an string. Well, that's the thing is, well, if it is an empty string in cold fusion, is that considered null or not? <laughs> well, that depends on on your yeah, app. The question exactly. becomes: Do you need to differentiate between if the value has legitimately never been set before uh, versus explicitly set to an empty string? If you don't need to differentiate between that then who cares just make it an empty string and it'll always be an empty string whether it was set that way explicitly or whether it was not set if you if your application needs to know has the user ever saved this this is important then you need to have that value possibly an explicit empty string and no really i've never set this which is usually where null comes in yeah but, exactly and i thought it was interesting because like i said i've been on that whole kick of doing more uh clean code and thinking more about architecturally and and stuff and so i mean i always use helpers whenever i can whether it's in the service and I, that's why i mentioned in my response to is like i know you're not using an object here but you could make a service method that took the data and then manipulated it to the rules that the user service wants to to enforce but yeah so anyway again many ways to do it what's the best way lots of different ways to do it so moving on um so we also had um something from Ville de Bruin. He was talking about quick create users or create issues. And so this is a kind of a weird one. I've actually run into this one before. So when you create something in quick, you know, you create an object, you know. So if you do a, an instance of quick company, well then it will move. And then you basically get an instance and create it, passing a struct, it'll create the struct, it'll save it. And then what it does is it uses the, you know, the get primary key or get the identity key or, you know, basically whenever it generated it, the generated key, it puts it back into the object for you. So if you do the ocompany.getID, you'll get it back. The interesting thing they ran into was it was coming back as a string. But if you do a refresh on that quick entity, it'll do another query, go to the database and then come back. And when it comes back, it's actually an integer. And so if you're using something which cares if it's an integer or if it's a query, I'm sorry, if it's a string, then obviously that matters. And that would actually break some APIs because if the ID comes back and it's a string and it's expecting a number, sometimes you'll get validation issues and, and everything. And so I think it actually comes when I did some looking into it, it came from the, the get generated ID in Lucy returns a string. And so that was the issue that comes. And so basically 
Um, what I did is I think I did a, a seder on the ID, which cast it to an int. It's the way I got around it. But maybe that's something we can uh, actually include in quick to say if this is a, you know, if this is field is an integer, we should always make sure that we cast it to an integer or try to when we're getting it out of the database or something. So it seems like it could warrant a, a Lucy ticket to type the generated ID based on the underlying column type of the table. Because if yep, it's a unique too. identifier, it's got to be a string. But if it's, you know, an auto incrementing int, feels like it should come back as a as a proper int in full fusion. Oh, so Vil's actually saying the incre incremental key in quick generates a string. So Okay, so it's generating one itself. I thought the incremental key in quick let the database generate it and then returned it. So maybe I was misreading um, there, Bill. Um, and he already promised Eric that he would solve it easy enough to solve. But yeah, I ran into it with um, with the actual database was generating it. And I still had the same problem. And so I just put a setter that cast it, um, you know, for my my quick entity but yeah it was good thanks for sharing that uh Vil. and of course getting feedback to the right person is important too so eric knows about it and you're going to fix it so that can be one of your hacktoberfest tickets so congratulations <laughs> so yeah i need to i need to figure out what tickets i'm going to do for hacktoberfest maybe i yeah. should have held off on those lucy free q or q a q um pull requests yeah uh, i thought about the same thing with a bug i found yesterday in call box but i'm like no i need to get it fixed right away so i just did it I'm sure there'll be something else I'll find. So, but next up we had uh, the CF Summit 2022 schedule from Nolan. So he's going to be there. So uh, you know he's talking about what his schedule is, what his sessions he's going to be attending. And sorry, <laughs> he didn't pick yours, Brad, or mine, Dang. or Daniel Garcia's. Man, well he already uh, saw us all into the box, so he's going to get some non-order stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm just teasing. But uh, it looks like it'll be a, a good amount of a. Uh, good amount of sessions he's gonna be attending in there and you know we had a lot of fun to catch up with nolan so we're gonna try and get another breakfast so i'm sure we'll uh chit chat some more there but if you're interested in what he's looking at and why um there you go i'll let those little session sort of recaps that people do before they go and then obviously nolan usually is pretty detailed in his reports after too which i like so so brad what do you think about lucy's uh idea of cache within instance along with cash you know lines of cash request for functions Did you no, see I, this actually, one? I actually didn't read it i saw it several times and i saw some people replied to it and i never actually went and read it yeah. um cached within instance yeah so this, this was interesting because you know for a function inside of a cfc yeah, so, you know, sometimes you get data, it's an expensive fetch or whatever, and so he was like, you could basically put it, you know, programmatically, it'll just say, hey, cache this within the instance, and the funny thing is, is like, Ben's like, well, most of my CFCs are in the application scope anyway, so there's no real difference between the instance or the component being cached, it's already there, and Adam, Adam Cameron said, uh, he says, it's conflating what the function does with how it's being used, so he doesn't like the fact that all of the functions will behave that way no matter what what thing is calling it. And if it's a transient and you put something in there for the instance, isn't that like just putting it in a variable anyway? So what's the point of doing that? You know, I don't know if I really understand that. I mean, there could still be usefulness in a transient if it's something you're going to call the method on a thousand times. I mean, I, I think when I want to do that, usually I would just have a getter that, I mean, I would have a CF property for it, right? 
and my getter would just set the property if it wasn't set and if it was set it would just return the property and that would effectively be cached within the instance um i don't see anything immediately like terribly wrong with the idea but i think it begs a few questions that i'm sure you can find answers to but you would need to answer um I mean, so what if this, what if UDF doesn't live inside of a CFC? Should that be a, a compilation error, right? Keep mm-hmm. in mind the fact that a UDF can be declared anywhere and injected into a CFC at a later date. So should it really be a compilation error, right? Or should it be a runtime error? And what if you take a UDF from one CFC and you inject it into another CFC? Um, does the cache data follow it? Or is it specific to whatever CFC it's living inside of? I mean, I think all those questions could be answered, but I think all of them would need to be answered in order to implement it. Um, I don't know. It's not a it's not a terrible idea. I, I don't know if I necessarily follow what Adam is saying, what the function does versus how it's being used. Well, that happens sometimes where... I don't think the user cares, right? I mean, if I'm just some code calling a method... I don't give a flip if that method has some internal catching mechanism. That's up to that method, right? Yeah, but fully if, encapsulated. If, if I want a fresh version of it, then I've got to go now. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who said? Who? Whoa! Why do you get to decide? You're not. You're not the object, right? You just call the method. The method does what it wants. Oh, I want a fresh version. I mean, I'm being silly here, right? But like, mm-hmm. I mean, that, isn't that the point of encapsulation and object-oriented programming? Is here's the method. Here's the API. You call it. No, no, no. no. I, I don't care what you think you want. I encapsulate that. I cache. I decide when to clear the cache. You just call the method. I'll give you the data. So, I mean, in that world, the the caller shouldn't care, right? I mean, the caching is purely a mechanism of the the encapsulation of that data, quote unquote, in theory. Yeah, <laughs> well, I understand, but I mean, because he did obviously, you know, offer some options for purging and everything else. You could purge that data or all the data and that because sometimes you need to do that like when we're on a blog and we update a blog post it's cached by default so your system has to be smart enough to you know blow away the cache when you edit it which usually if you're editing a blog it does but what if your blog contains like in cms roof content box we have content store items so if we update a speaker in a content store item which is used in a content store session which is used in a page now that we're four levels away from the way the blog works we need to tell it hey we need an updated version of this page we need to basically blow stuff away so we need to control it because the system's not smart enough to handle all of that so it doesn't know that something that it's caching is something changed that it's relying on so sometimes you need yeah. to say, hey, I need a new version of this or, that's, you know. Those and, are two different concerns, though. I mean, I get it. Cache yeah. and validation is a thing, right? But yeah. I don't see how that's mixing how it's used. But I mean, if, if the if the code says, I want to cache this function, and it's now the onus is on that code or the developer who writes it to decide how they're going to invalidate it, the caller still shouldn't care. Yeah, but if I'm in the admin where I'm editing stuff, when I, if I'm making a call from there, I should always want a fresh version of it. I don't want it to be cached every time. On the front end of the site, it's a different concern, like you said, and I don't, I you know, there I want to be caching it because I'm I'm using it. But it's again, Adam's just saying you shouldn't necessarily couple it, and so sometimes it happens where you know you have to basically fight it. So every time you want to make that call, you got to purge it, then you got to get it. You got to purge it, then you got to get it. So if it's yeah, tied I'm into really that following. method, so so here's the thing. I don't see how that relates to cash within instance. All of those arguments could be applied to cash within anything, right? Yeah, Let's totally. say you're storing it in Redis. We could still have a conversation of how do you invalidate, but that's not a critique of of Ben or is this Ben or Zach's? So you have oh, Zach. 
This so, isn't necessarily a, a critique specific to cash with an instance. This is just how do I invalidate cash, which is something we always deal with. Yeah, but it's just linking it to this is the the function that does it, and so now I have no control of when and it should handle it when it should. But cash. as the caller, you shouldn't you shouldn't need to have control if the data is being updated, presumably through a, a, a mutator on that same object. Then that mutator should be responsible for wiping whatever cache it needs to do, right? Maybe. I mean, like I said, it's it's one of those things. <laughs> I don't. I mean, there's a reason I don't use caching on functions in Coldbox because I usually get a SIP around it so I can control it better. And we use that in a lot of places. And so there's there's pros and cons to each approach for sure. It depends on what it is too. Like it might be handy for sometimes not to have to worry about doing it. It's an easy way, but. Anyway, that's just one of the points he mentioned. And and like I said, if someone put caching on, on every single thing that I wanted to touch, I would be mad that I had to make two requests every time I wanted a clean version of it instead of saying, this call never needs a cached version, so I always want to get the uncached version. And other places, I may want to control it more. But Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I just think discussions of cache and validation are really neither here nor there. They're all beside the point as far as whether or not this idea makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I understand what... Le what what Adam's saying, just stick it in the variable scope and be done with it, right? That's what I do. But, I but mean, then again, yeah, it's I mean, boilerplate. The whole point was, what if I want to avoid some boilerplate? Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I guess in your code review, you just make sure that you don't let that pass if that's something that's going to affect you. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, having an option is great. I mean, I, I, I don't mind having yeah, the option. I, I, I wouldn't vote against this. I'd yeah. say, yeah, I could, I could see a use case for that. Beware, there's dragons. Yeah. <laughs> anytime, hey, you anytime, anytime you cast, there's always a dragon. That's the story of the day. Okay. So we've learned one thing today. So, anyways. Uh, okay. Time. Yep. Good chat. Herding cat situation. You might be right there. But, uh, <laughs> thanks for the input, Charlie. Okay. So, another one from Benadel. Uh, key conflicts on insert. This was interesting. So, he's talked about key conflicts before, um, you know, uh, and doing stuff, but on inserts, I guess if you have <laughs> an issue inside the, um, inside the query, it still order increments the value in MySQL, which I didn't read this post. Is he talking about an insert that gets rolled back? So I think he was talking about when you have the, the create token or ignore. Uh, I think it goes down to, yeah, insert, insert, ignore into token where the value is that. And so essentially if the token already exists, it's going to error. So the insert ignore just skips it. But he's saying that because the insert already generates it, um, the key still increments like you did it. So it basically, the, the key is incremented. Then it actually tries to execute it and it says, no, that, you know, this value is already, already exists. And so it errors and the key is still updated. It doesn't revert the key, which makes sense, I guess. Yeah. I'm not really familiar with the insert ignore into syntax. So yeah, I thought that I'm was not... a really good thing for getting around certain use cases. And then I realized, no, any, any <laughs> error at all will, will throw. And so I guess when you insert ignore, I thought it was just on like duplication or like constraints or whatever, but I found that some databases, if you do an insert ignore and you like typo a field name or something, it'll just error and it'll just catch it because it ignores all errors, not just the one you're expecting, which that was not good. But yeah, insert ignore is like a try catch, as Scott said. So, 
But I didn't like the fact that it caught everything. Is MySQL the only database that does that? Or is like Postgres add that as well? Um, They have more. I think Postgres gives you more details. You can say, you know, insert ignore on these things. And if that's the case, you can do an update and stuff too. Yeah, but I don't know if it does the key. But it makes sense though. If you're trying to insert into it, you don't want to roll back the key ID in case another one's trying to do it. And then it's going to, you know, possible clashes and stuff. But yeah. So anyway, that was a blog post sort of talking about that, what he found. But I'm wondering which version it affects too. And I don't really care about the order increment um, key, you know, like if it goes up or not. Why would that matter if one of the keys are missing? And I guess is right. my thing. Yeah, because the, the example here, and I found on mysqltutorial.org, makes a bit more sense because it's like inserting in like five rows and it's saying what a two of the five error, right? As opposed to rolling back the entire transaction, well, you get three inserted and the two just disappear into the ether. And so presumably you have gaps now in your, you know, primary key which maybe your app design assumes won't happen. I would hate to ever make that assumption because it seems like you, you regularly have gaps in a, in a primary key. Yeah, and so Scott was saying, in terms of the auto increment part, uh, it does do it as well, but on conflict has more features than Postgres, like on duplicate key update or, or whatever. So, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so I've used it before where I've had race conditions where basically I have data that's getting inserted and for whatever reason, it's the same data getting multiple submissions at the same time. And so I know the second and third one at the exact same instant, I can just ignore. But when I put that insert ignore into it, also screwed up other things, basically with error. So you never get any response back about any errors, which is bad. So I had to change my code. But, you know, I just need to put a lock around it. That's the easy way to do it. But I was just being, being lazy. So... That's when I ran into that. Um, anyways, that was, is the sign of a good developer. Yep, to a certain degree. Until it bites you in the butt, <laughs> and then you change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then went last up, but not least, Grant Copley had a text, uh, a tweet, sorry, and he said, um, you know, we've got three videos up on CFCast if you want to learn about building apps with CV Wire. Totally free. And then he gets puts the link up here. So I'll share the link here. I got to go back and share some more of these other things, but CB wire. Yeah. There's a few videos already up there and free. So if I share my screen here, you guys can see, so we got a, you know, a couple of different webinars and into the box 2021 and the auto single video series, how to get up and running with it. So if you guys are looking to use CB wire or want to learn more about it, um, there's a few videos up there and they're already free. So pretty neat. Okay, and then for I'll post a couple more of those other links. Sorry, guys, I got distracted too busy arguing with Brad about uh, stuff. Constructive <laughs> discussion, more like, but uh, yep. So there's a few more links in here for you all. Okay, so find a job. CFMLjobs.com has a probably the best way to find Cold Fusion jobs, I think, because it scrapes them from everywhere. So you can see we've got an enterprise sales account manager from India, and we have a Lucy Confusion developer freelance in Belgium, England. And we have a few other positions too that were remote as well. So for, from last week, but 135 jobs listed, I think, you know, in the last few months, um, pretty good way to, to get into, um, the job market there. Um, 
I think they scrape almost all of the big ones. It's very few that doesn't seem to show up there from what I can tell. So, but uh, another thing too is Audis is hiring. So if you want to have a an interview conversation with Brad, because he seems to harass all the applicants, uh, Audis is hiring another USA uh, CF, senior CFML developer. So we're looking for people. And most importantly, the US time zone availability Availability is a must, and the U.S. citizen or resident or work visa is a must. So since you interview them, Brad, any hints or tips on uh, how they can make it past you? Nothing can prepare you. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you guys are looking, uh, check out the Order Solutions site as well. Uh, Means in Command Box. Yeah, say command box is nowhere near as good as Node, and that'll definitely get you through the next <laughs> interview. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I will I will warn you, if you're looking at a senior developer position in Ordis, we are expecting someone with some amount of box product experience or an insatiable desire to learn. <laughs> yeah, and that's one thing I'll say too. I don't know if you guys have noticed or anything, but most Ordis people are pretty passionate. So they're... they're Basically, you can't get away from them, right? Like the Brads, you can't hide from them. The Gavins, you can't hide from them. Eric, everywhere you look, there's one of us popping up. And then, you know, like some of the newer team members too, like Michael Bourne and Daniel Garcia, like they're everywhere. That's just the way we are. We're, we're lifetime learners, always pushing. And so, you know, that's something. It's like the people with the passion that may not have the experience, you know they're going to get there. They're going to push hard. They're going to learn. They're going to strive to to do what they can. And so those people are, you know, the best employees. So, you know, even if you're not the, you know, the most experienced with box products or anything else, doesn't mean you can't make it. But that passion, I think, you know, is a big plus. It might just be a bit of Luisa, you know, the El Salvadorian uh, passion burns bright. But uh, it seems to be a good, you know, success indicator too. Those who have the passion and, and the drive seem to outweigh those who have the experience. Because you can always learn, right? But you can't fake that. So, yeah, the command box chest tattoo might win, though. <laughs> That's some serious passion right there. A little bit of stupidity, but you know. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Moving on. So, Forge Box module of the week. And which one is it this week, Brad? It is CB Scribe or CF Scribe. Sorry. Yeah. So um, we talked about it in the keynote of Into the Box. Um, sorry, I'm typing something in the chat right now. Yep. And Dan Todd, <laughs> the man behind CF Scribe, is also in the chat. Um, but yeah, CF Scribe is a, a pretty cool thing, and it's built on. Is it John Wilson's? You'll have to correct me. But I <laughs> yeah, think... it was it was with his project. Basically, yeah. Logbox has the ability to kind of you know decide what appenders the messages flow through to. Um, but it, it's somewhat limited in, in just how you can configure it. And so CF Scribe acts as a logbox appender that has a whole bunch of routing mechanisms inside of it to decide where the actual log messages go to. Um, and so uh, to answer your question, Scott, no, I, I don't I don't believe it's cold box specific. I could be wrong about that. But since it's mostly based around logbox, I would assume it just requires logbox. But yeah, you can base stuff on like uh, the environment, HTTP headers, pull box settings, uh, system like environment variables, UDFs, uh, just to really fine tune what log messages go where uh, inside your application. And yeah. it's basically driven right out of a client project. 
Yeah, and I, I like it. I mean, it's very much, it's sort of logbox you sort of configure on application start, where a CF scribe is configured on each request. And that's sort of the, you know, the point of it is that every request can be treated differently. And uh, so I really like that approach. I'm doing, I do something very similar with uh, CP mail services for like our staging stuff. So we have a, you know, environment variables that basically say, okay, this is the list of people that these emails can go to. This is a list of emails that this every message must go to. This is a you know a bunch of topics that we can send. This is a prefixes for certain environments, and you know it's basically environment rules that uh, get you know implemented on a per request basis with an interceptor. And so I'm like, I might just steal whatever he builds with this and just convert it to CB mail, so I have more of a user interface and you know have a <laughs> provider based provider based uh, setup. So, but yeah, it's it's pretty neat because sometimes you need that flexibility. And so, you know, it can tell, is this an API request or a normal cold fusion, you know, lifecycle request? So I really like it. So the link for that is in the chat. And yeah, if you guys are, if you have a ticket for ITB, you can go watch the, the session and the pre-conference, which was really cool. Otherwise you'll have to wait until uh, Christmas time for the 12 videos of Christmas from ITB. But yeah, so good job with that, Dan. Um, um, but yeah, it does leverage Logbox extensively. And um, I think he said that, yeah, right now it does work on Coldbox, but he's working on getting it running. So you just need Logbox without Coldbox. But that's on the roadmap. So cool, cool. VS Code hint, tip, and trick of the week. So this yeah, one I'm here. I'm ahead here. Yeah, I know. What's, what's going on? I'm not sure if I can handle this. Brad's almost prepared. So this one here, we actually spotlighted this one, I think, three years ago. So I thought it was a, a worthy one to, to re-establish re because three years ago, it had like 100,000 installs, and now it has like almost 500,000 installs. But this right. gives you a bunch of really useful, very friendly file management tools right inside of VS Code. And so sometimes it works pretty nicely. Um, you know, VS Code natively, but with the command palette, you can do a lot more things. You can, you know, close folders, delete, duplicate, move, open, recent, rename. Um, but I thought this was pretty cool. You also can do brace expansion. So when you... That's something I've wanted to add to command box for a while. Yeah. Something so that Bash does. So yeah, in the file name input, if you do slash temp slash and then do parentheses and do like curly's A comma B comma C curly slash index dot and then cpp comma ts comma you know scss curlies what it does is it basically will loop through the curly brace ones and so then it creates you a temp slash folder for a b and c and inside of that it makes a file for index cpp scss and ts so it generates them all for all of them so it's like this could be really cool for scaffolding out stuff and i wonder if we could use that on top of other stuff we're already using in command box to like scaffold out things instead of just creating one controller we could basically have you know like five or six handlers being generated based on this convention you could basically give it the different names of it with curly braces and we'll loop through and give you multiples or something anyway basically it creates the cartesian product of both sets or all sets rather yeah it's pretty cool so that was one thing and then obviously you've got the normal commands in here and configuration but yeah it 
works pretty nicely and a lot of people have been using it for a while and uh john colson recommended this one and he says it's like one of the must-haves for vs code so i thought that was worth you know it, reminding people of how cool is this it is. extension used solely from the little command palette where you type commands i so don't know i don't know if it actually adds things into your normal menu uh, I think I actually have it installed, and I have had it installed for three or four years now. So I don't even know which ones are native and which ones aren't anymore. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, because I'm just sitting here watching the little animated GIF, and it looks like everything they're doing is through the command palette. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I know there is. I know there's one at least that does add additional functionality to your right-click context menu, but I don't know. That thing is so many, so many. Uh, cool vs code hints and tips but we'll try and you know bring them all back up because whatever i do is usually i reinstall fresh every once in a while and just put on the ones i know i need that way i can see what's actually native because sometimes the extensions we used to use aren't needed anymore because vs code does a lot of that now too yeah you gotta watch out if you go crazy installing all of the um all of the extensions in the world uh they'll start to bog down vs code I, uh, I installed like a VS Code update yesterday and it restarted like 10 VS Code windows and it just like hammered my CPU for like three minutes. And I was like, what the heck? And I looked at my my Windows task manager and I had this Red Hat Java extension that was running some Java process in like each of those VS Code windows as they were starting up. And I was like, what the heck? So I went and I disabled that extension and all of a sudden VS Code got a lot faster. So um, there is there can be a downside that it's installing every single extension you come across if they uh, if they add overhead to the startup time yeah for sure i mean especially when you're running multiple multiple windows and uh, maybe we can talk about the project manager next week and then uh, help you switch windows easier so anyway that's our vs code hint tip trick of the week file utils last but not least let's thank all of our patreon supporters because without them we wouldn't be able to do all the awesome things we're doing so we have a uh, Obviously, a lot of cool little perks out there for you. Um, if you're a bronze or up, you get Forgebox Pro and CFCast subscriptions as a perk for your Patreon subscription. All Patreon supporters have profile badges on the community website, uh, and they also have access to their private forum on the community website. We started a box team Slack to discuss a few more things that we thought were Patreon-only discussions, including some ideas for other types of things, like the coding with the Kiwi and friends that I did uh, you know, late summer and uh what we may want to do going forward so we're trying to plan up for everything after after cf summit because conference season is almost over we're trying to see what we can do going forward for you guys so jump into the slack and of course the community.autosolutions.com everybody should be on there anyway patreon or not but we got a large list of patrons here i think we got 41 names here brad so uh, i think it's on you since you missed last week what okay so thank you to our um, impeccable Patreon today. Um, John Wilson from Snaptrix, Jordan Clark, Gary Knight, Mario Rodriguez, Ian Carlo Gomez, David Bellinger, Dan Card, Jonathan Perrett, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, um, Dean Maunder, Nolan Irk, Abdul Rahim, Bill Dubrine, Joseph Lamory, Don Bellamy, Jan Yannick, uh, Laxma Turtohadi, Brian Gadelli from Haggerty Motorsports, uh, Carl Von Stetten, Jeremy Adams, Peter Lesnicki, Matthew Clemente, Daniel Garcia, Scott Steinbeck from Agri uh, Dragon Systems, 
Ben Nadell, Richard Herbert, Brett DeLine, Ike Koenig, Charlie Earhart, Jason Diger, Sean Odin, Matthew Darby, Ross Phillips, Edgardo Cabezas, Patrick Flynn, Stephanie Monkey, Kevin Wright, John Wish, Peter Amiri, and Gavin oh, Betts. So I actually get to meet it into the box. It was in my test box training. Cool, cool. So thank you to our impeccable Patreon supporters. Yep. We appreciate each and every one of you. And again, we couldn't do these podcasts without you, so we appreciate it. And if you are going to be at CF Summit, please come up and introduce yourself. It is nice to meet you guys and chit-chat a little bit. So thanks, everybody. And Brad, you have a good week. Get everything done. We need to get done. And then uh, we'll see you Sunday at CF Summit. Yeah, I should finish my session. <laughs> finish? You mean start? <laughs> I know you've done that one before, so you should be good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 always a pleasure to talk about something you're already really familiar with because you just have to figure out what order to say it all in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool, cool. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.